and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. Welcome to another week of the Best of Theater Guild on the Air. This week we have the king and queen of 20th century American theater, Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan, playing royalty in Elizabeth the Queen by Maxwell Anderson. They toured wartime England in this play, and I know you will enjoy this star turn by some of the greatest actors ever. This is the Theatre Guild on the Air, first broadcast December 2nd, 1945, on ABC. United States Steel presents the Theatre Guild, one of America's foremost theatrical producers, bringing into your home every Sunday evening the most famous plays of Broadway. Tonight we bring you Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine in Maxwell Anderson's great drama, Elizabeth the Queen. And here is Lawrence Langner, co-director with Teresa Halburn of the Theatre Guild, to tell you something about the play and the players. Mr. Langner. Thank you, Norman Brokenshire. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are honored with the presence of two of the most distinguished citizens of Genesee Depot, Wisconsin, Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan. Stars of 23 of the Theatre Guild's finest plays, the Lunts will recreate for us tonight the roles they originally played in New York and on the road in Elizabeth the Queen. This play is about two of England's most dazzling and dominant personalities, England, uh, Elizabeth and Essex, in one of the most violent and exciting love stories in all English history. It was only last August that the Lunts returned from a two-year stay in war-torn England. All through the buzz-bomb terror, they played in London in the comedy Oh, Mistress Mine, in which they will shortly return to the New York stage. After V.E. Day, they took the same play to many army camps in France and Germany. They have thus had the experience of interpreting in this play one stirring phase of English history and of actually participating in yet another. And now, the play. The curtain rises on the Theatre Guild production of Elizabeth the Queen, presented by United States Steel. century, and Elizabeth is on the throne of England. It's a glorious era to be a queen. Her Majesty's sailing ships are challenging the mighty power of Spain. Her merchants roam from the bazaars of India to Marco Polo's China. To the fine houses on the Thames, they bring the rarest treasures, perfumes, flowered carpets, jewels, laces from the far court of the Turks. London is growing proud and populous. Mounted courtiers in splendid liveries splash through the muddy streets, past processions of cooks and pastrymen bearing roasts and pies to the homes of the great adventurers and noblemen. Down by the river, trumpets announce Shakespeare's newest play at the Globe Theater. This is Elizabeth's London, Shakespeare's London. 
In such an atmosphere, our play opens in an anteroom of the Queen's Palace in Whitehall. It is early morning. Two of Elizabeth's counselors, Sir Walter Raleigh and Lord Cecil, are in conference about court affairs. Then why do we put up with him, Cecil? As a soldier, I'm for some action. Some dark night, a knife to his throat. The Queen, friend Raleigh, beware the Queen. What she wants, she will have. And she must have her Earl of Essex. She loves her kingdom more than all men, and always will, perhaps. But Essex is too popular. We must get him out of England. We must pack him off to put down the Irish rebellion. Oh, you'll never agree. We will use strategy, friend Raleigh. Strategy. We'll begin by naming three men for Ireland of his own supporters. What then? Why, he will oppose them. Not wishing his party weakened at the court. Then we ask what he suggests. And hint at his name for leader. Good so far. He will be angry. And hint at your name. You will offer to go if he will. No, not to Ireland, not I. Let some stupid knave rot there. Do you think he'd let you go with him and share the military glory? He's too proud. Too hot-headed. He'll swallow the bait... Well, we can try it, Cecil. But by Satan, I'm not going to Ireland, no matter what happens. When is the council meeting? At nine. Very well. We'll try this Irish plan. Play up to it, my dear Raleigh. Don't fail me. Count on me. What's that? The usual entrance of our dear Essex. The crowds huzzahing, the girls ogling. I think he must give silver to the trumpeters. Good morning, Penelope. Does the Queen await me? If so, would I acknowledge it? May I have one moment, my lord? She's not quite ready. She summoned me. These new French gowns, my lord, they take time. But do you mind so much waiting with me? I know, my dear, but it angers me a little to keep cooling my heels at a door. If you kissed me, my lord, it would pass the time. At the Queen's door, it's custom, you know. And a very pretty custom it is. And a very pretty face to keep custom, too. Thank you, my lord. Her Majesty the Queen. The Queen approaches. Will you enter, my lord? My lord of Essex. My Queen. Rise, my lord. You sent for me. I did. Why? You've been gone a week. A week's a long time at court. Other men and women are here, all fully equipped for loving and being loved. Penelope, you find Penelope charming, or Raleigh, the handsome. Oh, you shall not mock me, my queen. Turn up your face to me. Is it not strange how one man's kiss can grow to be like any other's? 
Or a woman's to be like any woman. Not yours for me, no, and not mine for you, you lying villain, you villain and queen, ah. you double-tongued seductress. Come to me, my Essex. Let us be kind for a moment. I will be kind. You need not be. You are so young. Strangely women, winning, too. Sweet. My heart goes out to you wherever you are. But this same thing that draws us together hurts and blinds us till we strike at each other. This has gone on a long while. It grows worse with the years. It will end badly. All this is what I said when last I went away. Oh, here I am. Love someone else, my dear. I will forgive you. I have tried to love others. What others? No one. What others? Everyone. Everyone? And so no one. You have done this to me. You made it all empty away from you and with you, too. I think if we are to love, we must love and be silent. If you when we sometimes heed me, only sometimes, only when I'm right. If you would say to yourself that even your lover might be right sometimes. Tell me, my dear, do you tire of me? Do I wear on you a little? Never. You say that because you do not wish to hurt me and because I'm your queen. When the time does come and I seem old to you and you love someone else, tell me. Tell me the first. You are not old. I will not have you old. No, tell me in all kindness. No, no, no. You could not. It's not in a man to be kind that way, nor in a woman to take it kindly. I think I'd kill you in a first blind rage. Kill me when I say it. Love. Will you let me say one more thing that will hurt you? Anything? Do sit down, my dear, here by my side. Your blood's on fire to lead a new command. I know it. And when I need a general anywhere, you'll ask to go. Don't ask it. And don't go. So that's why you summoned me, to make me promise this. Not for myself, I swear it. And not because I want to keep you here and hate to risk you, though that is partly true, but rather... And for this you must forgive me, because you're more a poet than a general, and I fear you might fail and lose what you have gained. In heaven's name, whom would you send? I asked you not to be angry. Not to be angry. How do you judge a leader except by whether he wins or loses? Was it by chance, do you think, that I won in Spain? Very well, very well. You shall go. Go, if you will, only I love you, and I say what would be wise. You choose the one thing I must have and ask me not to do it. No, forgive me. I'll not say it again. And if I'm more poet than general, why, poets on occasion make better generals than most generals do. You've proved it so on more than one occasion. And if it's fame you're thinking of, my lord, when we ride in the streets together, it's Essex, they cheer, not their queen. Is it for fear of me and this hollow cheering you hold me back from Spain? No, it's because I believe in peace and have no faith in wars or what wars win. You do not fear me. Yes, I fear you. You believe yourself fitter to be king than I to be queen. That last is true. I love you, my queen, madly, beyond all measure. But as a sovereign, you fail merely because a woman cannot act and think like a man. Act and think like a man? Why should I act and think like a man when a woman's thinking's wiser? What do you plan to take over my kingdom? <laughs> oh, you are a touchy queen. <laughs> I had a bad bringing up. There, that's a summons for my council. Come there, waiting. We shall hear about Ireland now. One thing, remember, my love. You must not go to Ireland. 
Not even if Cecil urges it. No, that's a war I am content to miss. If I oppose you in council, lest they think it's your kingdom, will you understand? I'll play my part perfectly. You may kiss my hand, my lord. Oh, no. Your lips. No, what can come between us out of heaven or hell or Spain or England? Nothing. Nothing ever again. Now I can face these scheming lords. Come. What further business is there before my council? There is one perpetual subject, Your Majesty, which we take up time after time and always leave unsettled. You speak of Ireland, Lord Cecil. Ireland. We must conquer this running rebellion finally, now, or give over what we have won. This means men, money, ships. Yes, madam, and more than that, a leader. What leader? A lord protector of Ireland who can carry sword and fire from one end of the bogs to the other. The man who goes there now must be one fitted to master any field. The best we have. What man? Name one. We shall send approved an able general of no less rank, say, than Lord Howard here, Lord Essex, Sir Walter Raleigh, Knowles, or Mountjoy. I ask you for one and you name a dozen, my lord. Your Majesty. Master Raleigh. Why not two expeditions? One to Dublin, one into Ulster, meeting uh, halfway. Are there two who could work together? Knowles and Mountjoy. They are friends and of one house. Yes, of my house. Essex, whom would you name? Why, since Lord Cecil feels free to name my followers, I shall feel free to name one or two of his. In other words, you would rather Knowles and Mountjoy did not go. I would rather they stayed in England, as Lord Cecil knows. But I will spare one of them if Lord Cecil will let Sir Francis Vere go with him. Let Vere and Knowles go. Lord Essex named Sir Francis Vere because he knows full well I cannot spare him, my lady. This appointment to wait for all our private bickerings... Can we say no man of worth to Ireland merely because to do so would weaken some house or party here at court? Raleigh has said he would go to Ireland if the Queen requested it. I did say as much, and I stand on it. And I believe, madam, that if Raleigh goes, Lord Essex shall go with him. With him? In what capacity? It was my thought that we name Raleigh as Lord Protector. And I under him. Since the Azores adventure which my Lord Essex led but in which Sir Walter showed to greater advantage, it has seemed to me that Raleigh should receive first place if he served in this. This is deliberate and insult plain. It is no insult, my lord, but plain truth. I speak for the good of the state. You lie. You've never spoken here or elsewhere for any cause but your own. No more of this. The good of the state. Am I to swallow this from a clerk, a pen pusher? Whoever makes you angry has won already. Plan this. How this pet rat, Lord Cecil, first crept into favor here, I know not. He's filled the court with his rat friends, very gentle, who smile at you, speak you fair, and spend their nights gnawing the floors and chairs from under a Lord, my lord. I'll say frankly here, yes, to their faces, that Cecil and Walter Raleigh have made themselves mine enemies because they cannot brook greatness or power in any but themselves. I, too, have been ambitious, as all men are who bear a noble mind. But if I rise, it will be by mine own effort and not by dragging better men down through intrigue. If Lord Essex wishes to say he is my enemy, very well, he is my enemy. The swords are called for... Accepted, sir. There will be no duels here at court, sirs. 
That is a command. I have some word in this. I take it hard that you should quarrel before me. Would you have us quarrel behind your back? Very well. I'll say no more. Lord Cecil sends your Sir Walter Raleigh to Ireland as protector, and the devil take you. As the Queen wishes. It is a task both difficult and dangerous. I cannot blame Lord Essex for refusing to risk his fame there. There speaks the white wrath again. Lord. I have never refused the task out of fear in the wood I... Lord Cecil, you've named your man Sir Walter Raleigh. I'll go if Essex goes. What? Is our Raleigh afraid to go along? I don't care for it. Neither does our Essex. Why, what is this that hangs over Ireland? Is it haunted, this Ireland? Is it a kind of hell where men are damned if they set foot on it? It's nothing to be afraid of more than France or Wales or Flanders or anywhere else. We hear you say so. If I am challenged to go to Ireland, then by heaven I'll go. Will you listen, my lord? Reflect a little. My queen, Raleigh and Cecil know, and I know that Ireland has been deadly to any captain who risked his fortunes there. Moreover, once I'm gone, they think to strip me here at home. And I say to them, try it. Since this is a challenge, I go. Break up. And go along. The council, my lords. We meet tomorrow. And this is decided, your majesty? If Lord, Lord Essex goes? If Lord Essex wishes it, yes. Go now, my lords. Your majesty. majesty. One word, my lord Essex. Madam. Wait a while. I will speak with you. Good day, my lords. Your majesty. Come, my lord, let us walk in the garden. Your face is angry. The spring air and the flowers will soothe you. Are you still angry? Do you expect me not to be? I'd like to slit their throats. That would be more to my liking than talk. Oh, my dear, you're a child in council, a child. Here, pluck me a flower and stop your stocking. I saw their purpose, topped it with my own. You'll not go to Ireland. I'll countermand that order. And give them the laugh on me. Better they should laugh a little now than laugh at you forever. But why not women, Ireland? Oh, mistrust all these forebodings. They mean nothing. You'll remember this when I'm back and all turns out well. Oh, my love, my love. Come, touch me. Tell me all will happen well. And so it will. If you win, that will divide us. If you lose, that will divide us, too. I'll win, and it will not divide us. Is it so hard to believe in me? No, no, no. I'll believe in you. And even forgive you if you need it. Here, take this ring. My father gave it me and told me if ever he lost his temper with me to bring it to him and he'd forgive me. And so it saved my life long after when he'd forgotten. Long after when one time he was angry. Oh, darling, if ever your angry rings won't help. Oh, but it would. It would. I'd think of you as you are now. And it would. Take it. I'll take it. To remember you in absence. No, no, no. Take it for a better reason. Take it because the years are long and full of sharp-wearing days that wear out what we are and what we have been and change us into people we do not know. 
lest you and I who love should wake some morning strangers and enemies. Take my ring, my lover. Why, then, I'll take your ring. But do you give it me because you fear you will not always love me? No. But you will not love me and will not let me love you. In a moment, we will continue with the second act of Maxwell Anderson's Elizabeth the Queen, starring Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. Produced by the Theatre Guild on the air and presented by the United States Steel Corporation. And here speaking for U.S. Steel is the well-known reporter of the American Broadcasting Company, George Hicks. Good evening. Not long ago, I drove into the country to visit some friends of mine... And while I was there, I met a wise old gentleman who's lived in those parts a long time. As we talked, he gave me his views on many things, but especially on the progress America has made since the turn of the century. For example, he reminded me that the average length of life in America has increased by 15 years, and that we not only live longer, but also a great deal better. Just think how different life would be without cars and planes and radios without electric refrigerators and washing machines, vacuum cleaners, and all the other modern appliances that reduce the drudgery of housework and increase the supply of our precious leisure. All of them made possible by American workers and American production efficiency, the same kind of efficiency that played such an important part in speeding us to final victory. And in this picture of American progress, steel played a major part. It has been well said that steel is the strength of America, for it's the increasing versatility and the low cost of steel to a great extent that has made possible our modern world of machines and the miracles that flow from them into our homes, our factories, and our farms. And although peacetime pursuit of progress was interrupted by the demands of all-out war, that interruption actually speeded research and technological advances at U.S. Steel and its subsidiaries. To you, the consumer, these advances at U.S. Steel will simply mean what they have in the past. High-quality steels for the improvement of familiar products and for new products that American enterprise and inventiveness have designed for your benefit. We pause now for station identification. KECA Los Angeles. The curtain rises on the second act of Maxwell Anderson's Elizabeth the Queen, starring Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. We are back again in the colorful 16th century court life of Queen Elizabeth. 
three months have passed since the headstrong Earl of Essex stormed off to Ireland in spite of Elizabeth's warnings. The palace is buzzing with gossip and intrigue. Even the penny papers are hawking rumors about the absent Earl's ambition for the throne. Couriers whisper at the theater that Raleigh and Cecil will bring about the absent Earl's downfall. At this moment, Raleigh and Cecil are having a midnight supper at the palace with Sir Francis Bacon, said to be the single friend of Lord Essex at court. A little more wine, Master Bacon. Thank you. Excellent Madeira, don't you think? Excellent, Cecil, but uh, pour me very little. It approaches midnight and I must be prompt with the Queen. Then I'll get to the point. You have been in correspondence with Lord Essex in Ireland? Perhaps. The Queen has just received news that Lord Essex is allied with the Irish rebels and maybe even now leading his army back to England to take her throne. Had you heard this? No. You credit it? It is your own scheme, I believe. Yours and Raleigh's, my Lord Cecil. Our scheme that Essex should rebel against the Queen? Even so. Look to yourself, Master Bacon. Do you intend to accuse any man of stealing letters written by Essex to the Queen or by the Queen to Essex? The truth is, my Lords, you are desperate men. You have overreached yourselves. And if wind of it gets to the royal ears, you are done. We shall drag a few down with us if we are done, though. And you are the first, my dear Bacon. How would that be? To be frank with you, Bacon, it would be easier for all of us if you were on our side. You must expect a man to side with his friends. And a man's friends. Who are they? Those who can help him to what he wants? Not always, my lord. When he is wise. The moment Essex enters England in rebellion, he is doomed. And his friends with him. One word from me to the Queen, revealing that their letters have been intercepted by you, that the couriers between here and Ireland have been bribed. Well, sirs, after that there can be no talk of rebellion. Very well then, Master Bacon. You have chosen your side, and I have done with you. And if I say nothing? Then, whatever you have been promised by Essex, you shall have more from us. No one shall know better than you that if Essex goes down in disaster, as he will, you will go down with him. My lord, I am but barely on time. The queen will be impatient. Uh, perhaps we shall talk again. Perhaps we shall talk soon. Good night, gentlemen. What do you make of this man, Bacon? Is he with us or against us? There's a slippery brain. One that always tries to slip into the winning side. Which will be ours, friend Raleigh. Never fear. I'd summoned you because I'd heard you are a shrewd man, Master Bacon. Flattery, Majesty, flattery. I have heard it, and in a thought I believe it. Tell me one thing. Are you Cecil's friend? I have never been. He is also a shrewd man. He's a man to make a friend of if you'd stand well in the court, sir. It may be so. Why are you not his friend, then? We are not on the same side. You follow Lord Essex. Since I have known him. There's a dangerous man to follow. I am sorry, madam, if I have displeased you. You will change, then. 
You will forget this Essex of yours. If you ask it, if there is reason... Reason? I... There is reason. He has taken up arms against me in Ireland. You are sure of this? Is it so hard to believe? Without proof, I have proof. May I ask of what sort? Proof good enough, Master Bacon. You know the punishment for treason. From what I've heard of late, both you and Essex should remember that punishment. Madam, for myself, I have no need to fear. And if Lord Essex has, I am more than mistaken in him. I am very sorry that I must do this. But all friends of Essex go straightway to the tower, to prison. Are you still his friend? Yes, Majesty. I am sorry for it. That is all? No. You do not believe me. I do not. And why? I neither believe our Essex is a rebel, nor that you believe so. If you intended to place me in the tower, I would be in the tower and no further talk about it. You are shrewd indeed, Master Bacon. I am Essex's friend. If that were true, if I could speak to you, if there were only the sound of one honest voice, I must rule England, and they say he's rebel to me. Yet day and night, waking, sleeping, one thing cries out in me over again. He cannot, cannot fail me. But I have written him my love and he has not answered. What do you know of this? Tell me. Answer me truly. Bitter or not. If I knew why he had not written you, my queen, I would know much. Have you angered him? I have ordered him to disband his forces and return. But this was rash. To send a popular leader out with an army and then check him suddenly. He has great pride. But before I did this, I wrote him lovingly. And he answered? Nothing. That could not be excused. It cannot be. It will not be. He had my letters. They could not go wrong. Did he not have my letters? Could it be otherwise? You would know if he had not. Yes. Or are you traitor to him also? I think you are. I think you lie to me, but subtly with infinite craft. I am encompassed by lies. No, no, I'm gone mad. He never loved me. That's the truth of it. He wanted my kingdom only. He thought to break me down by not answering. Break me until I'd say I'm yours, all yours, what I am and have, all yours. And that I will never, never, never say. See him no more, my friend. He walks on quicksand. Avoid him. Yes, my queen. Go, Master Bacon. You have done well. I trust you. I thank your majesty. Good night, madam. Captain Armin? Captain Armin! Your majesty... Captain, keep a watch on Master Bacon, on his house and on his correspondence. I wish to know all he knows. It will be done, Your Majesty. Tell Lord Essex you've come. 
My lord, a courier from the Queen. At last, then. You will see him at once? Yes. One moment, Lieutenant. If I give orders to torture or kill him, show no surprise, you understand. You will not torture him, my lord. Have I not been tortured? Day after day, sunk in those Irish bogs, and now on this bleak Irish coast here in a frozen tent, waiting, waiting with the rest of the army. Why do you wait longer, my lord? I must wait. If we marched on London now, the citizens would rise at the first breath of your name. And with London in your hands... No. I have sent one last dispatch to the Queen. Upon this answer depends... Bring in this courier. Yes, my lord. Courier! Sir, present yourself. You have dispatches from the Queen? Yes, my lord. When did you leave London? Four days ago, my lord. What delayed you? Robbers. They took our horses and money. And the letters? Were returned to me untouched. Give me the letters. Is this all? One letter from the Queen. Three lines. A model of brevity. Courier, you are sure you've lost nothing? Indeed, yes, my lord. There was but one, and the seal was returned unbroken. You're a clever liar, Sarah. And you are the third liar who has come that same road to me from London. You shall pay for being the third. My lord, I have not lied to you. Take his weapons from him, Lieutenant. Set him against the post there. Not so gently. He shall lose his ears first, and then his lying tongue. Your lordship does not mean this. And why not? Draw your life, Lieutenant. We shall cut this fellow to pieces, but gradually, with infinite delicacy. No! No, no, no! Mercy, my lord! Mercy! Silence! We know too well what you have done. We need no evidence. I have done nothing I have not said, my lord. Tell us who set you on, and your accomplices. Tell us this, and I want no more of you. You shall have your freedom and this pouch of silver. Speak. My lord, if I knew... Very well. Dispense with these niceties. Take out his tongue. My lord, I am not a coward. Though it may seem to you I am, for I have cried out. But I cried out not so much for pain, or fear of pain. But to know this was Lord Essex, whom I have loved and who tortures innocent men. Silence the man, Lieutenant. Yes, silence me. If Lord Essex will hurt me, then he is not as I and many thousand believe him. And I shall not mind much dying. Oh, let him go. I thought my letters had been tampered with. You tell me if it were so. My honored lord, by all the faith I have, I'd rather serve you well and lose in doing it than serve you badly and gain. Take this silver and go. I have misjudged you. Remain with my guard. Yes, my lord. The queen does not send letters, lieutenant. She sends orders. Lord Essex is required to disperse his men and return to the capital straightway on his recognizance to give himself up. And nothing with this? That is all. Lieutenant, we break camp tomorrow for London. Give out the necessary orders. We shall move at daybreak. Yes, my lord. It is as well it falls out this way. By right of name and power and popular voice, this England is my kingdom. And she shall learn.
In a moment, we'll continue the third act of Elizabeth the Queen, starring Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan, produced by the Theatre Guild on the air and presented by the United States Steel Corporation. Here again for U.S. Steel is George Hicks. In Europe and in the Pacific, American soldiers are unpacking cases of equipment for the coming winter. And if some of them are trying to open boxes with a bayonet, they may well be muttering about the stubbornness of one of the products of United States Steel. That product is the round steel strap, which has held the case securely closed until it reached its destination. The strength and toughness of those straps is amazing. Products bound with this round steel strapping may be shipped all over the world, exposed to tropic heat or arctic cold, and even drop several hundred feet from an airplane, and they still reach their destination undamaged. About the only thing that seems to have much effect on this steel strapping is a direct hit by an artillery shell. And yet, a steel strap package may be opened instantly. This product and the tools for applying and opening it are made by the Girard Steel Strapping Company of Chicago, one of the members of the United States Steel family. For almost 30 years now, this company has been aiding the safe delivery of American goods to every part of the globe. During the war, as in peace, millions of articles traveled all over the earth, held securely in the steel grip of Girard Strapping. And in the future, this product will continue to protect all sorts of things from cartons of baby chickens and cases of furs to crates of fruit, bundles of newspapers, and even carloads of milk bottles. They will be safe from rough handling and from accidents locked in round bonds of steel. This is one more example of the thousands of ways the nation is served by the industrial family of United States Steel. The curtain rises on the third act of Maxwell Anderson's Elizabeth the Queen, starring Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan. As tonight's drama continues, Lord Essex and his rebel army are marching on London. The city is in an uproar, the palace in confusion, the guards waiting orders. Captain Armand of the Royal Palace Guard is hurrying toward the chambers of Queen Elizabeth. Your Majesty! Your Majesty! Enter, Captain. Madam, it's rebellion. Lord Essex and a rebel army are approaching London. Calm yourself, Captain. But, Madam, allow me to post the riverbank. I beg you, give me some orders. Only this, Lord Essex, when he arrives, is to have free access to my presence. But, madam, is there to be no resistance? None of any consequence. But does this course not endanger your person, my queen? I friend? will risk that. And as for you and your guards, you must be ready for danger and, if needs be, death. Yes, Majesty. And in all things, wait my orders. Yes, Majesty, but with a mob rising in London, too. What is this mob doing? Running wild, madam, with street brawls, robbery, murder, all manner of pillage. Already they've sacked a grocer's in Fleet Street and broken into a wine merchant's cellar. If they've broken into a wine cellar, they'll get no farther. We're a marvelous people, we English, but we cannot hold liquor. Now, if they were Scotch, one might worry. But, madam... What are they saying, these wine drinkers? Are they not crying up with Essex, down with Elizabeth? Yes, madam. Why, surely, the queen is dead. Long live the king. If I were there, I'd cry it myself. It has a marvelous ring. Up with Essex! Down with Elizabeth! 
What are we to do, madam? What is the Lord Mayor of London doing? Nothing, madam, nothing. How like a Lord Mayor and how sensible. That's the first principle of government. Never do anything. Let the others make all the mistakes. Open the door, Captain. Yes, ma'am. That will surely be my able advisers, Lord Cecil and Raleigh. Your Majesty. Ah, gentlemen, I was expecting you. You seem always to fatten on trouble and so are never far from it. Madam, why do you not post the river bank? Why do you not call out every soldier? Because I do not choose to. You're mad, Your Majesty. You play into their hands. I know, I know, Master Raleigh. Madam, half the town is uprising. Little man, little man... Let me alone. Would you rather lose your life, madam? Open the window and listen to that mob. well, open it. Enough, enough. Close the window. And now, madam, will you call out the guard? No. Let the Earl of Essex bring his revolution here. How long do you think it will last after I have looked on it? Lieutenant, the palace is in our hands. It is, my lord. The Queen's guards are disarmed. Then why is Captain Armin still standing in full armor before the Queen's door? I shall disarm him at once, my lord. No, no. Captain Armin, announce my presence to the Queen. The Queen, my lord, has requested that I bring you to her. She is with her counselors. With her counselors? So much the better. Follow me, my lord. My guard will accompany me. Very well, my lord. My Lord Essex, Your Majesty. Enter. My Queen. You come with a file of soldiers at your back, my Lord of Essex. Do I need them, Your no. Majesty? No, no. Then be off with you. I see you're surrounded by your counselors, as usual. Cecil and Raleigh are always here to advise me. Do you not remember? I remember. I remember well. It seems you are in rebellion, my good Lord. State your grievance. I have a great affection for rebels, being one myself much of the time. I am no rebel, Your Majesty. But newly arrived from Ireland, I venture to come to see you once more. And we are to believe that. I am very little interested in what you believe, Sir You received my orders, no doubt, directing you to disband your army. I believe them to be mistaken. And Ireland. What of Ireland, If there is to be any questioning of me, Lord Cecil, it will come from the Queen. I should like to know of Ireland. I could have conquered Ireland had you given me time. I left it worse than I found it. An honest answer at any rate. You were engaged in subduing the rebels then when I summoned you home. You were not by chance joined with the rebels. If you speak again, Cecil, I will call my guard and have you removed. Why did you write me nothing of your plan? I wrote you. Yes, masterly letters, brief to the point, wasting no words, in short, nothing. I know not what your majesty means by that. I wrote you full and an answer received no reply. You wrote me? Many times. 
and had no letters from me. None until they ordered to disband. Impossible. He lies. Sirs, if you would live... Silence, all of you. Before heaven, if my couriers were tampered with, there shall be some necks stretched here. My lords, I wish to speak with Lord Essex here alone. Leave us. Dear Queen, do you think it's safe? Safe, you low, miserable wretch. Leave us, Lord Cecil. Leave us before I direct my questions at you. Now, what did you write me? At first, I wrote my love, for I thought you loved me then. And then at last, I wrote angrily, for I had not heard. What did you write me? I wrote, my love, God keep you safe, I know not. And then not hearing, I wrote heaven knows what madness is to a rebel, thinking you no longer mine, faithless. Sweet, think back all these months, no word, no love. And though I came here in defiance, I came truly to find you. Do you ask forgiveness? It is all forgiven. We have so little time. Let us make it doubly sweet. Be gracious to each other. Sway a little to right or left if we must to stay together. Distrust all others, but never distrust each other. Let us make this our pact now. What is this doubt on your brow? I am troubled to be dishonest. If you had but showed anger, I could speak more easily. Speak what you will. I say this now without rancor in all friendliness and love. The throne is yours by right of descent and by possession. But if this were a freer time and there were elections, I would carry the country before me. And this being true, and we being equal in love, should we not be equal in power as well? Am I not as worthy to be king as you to be queen? You are young in policy, my Essex. If you do not see that should I grant high place to you now, it would be believed that you had forced this on me would be called a revolution and undermine the people's confidence. Then now, when you were my prisoner, I must send my men away. Give back your kingdom to me. I am your prisoner. The palace and the city are in my hands. This England is mine now for this the taking. This is your friendship. This is your love. As water finds its level, so power goes to him who can use it. Oh, my Essex. Why this talk of power? No guard was set to stop your entrance here, for I wish to keep a semblance of peace between us. For that I am your prisoner. Yes. My dear prisoner. Now I do know at least what it was you wanted. You wanted my kingdom. You have it. Make the best of it. So shall I. What are your plans? I have none. The tower, the block, you could hardly take a queen prisoner and have no thought of her destiny. You no, know you are as free as if air. If I do as you ask. Is it so hard to share Let's your power with your love? No more pretending you come with an army demanding, in short, you don't love nor trust me. No, no, want me. I have wanted you, and I have wanted power. If you had wanted me, you'd have come to me quietly. We'd have talked of it together as lovers should, and we'd both have our way and none the wiser. But now, what you've wanted, you've taken. This is your kingdom, but I am not yours. But I am yours, and always have been. Who will believe that? Not the world, no, and not I. Put me where I will do least harm. I cannot. I could not. I will not. If I could have given 
freely. But not now. No surrendering, not to a victor. I am no victor if I lose you. I ask one word from you. Give me this word, this one word, and these soldiers shall leave and you shall be free. I'll believe that when it happens. I'll believe you when you promise. Then you have my promise. You shall share the realm with me. As I am queen, I promise it. Then this is my answer. Lieutenant! Lieutenant! Milord, dismiss my guard. Return the palace into the queen's hands. Retire with all our forces to the strand. Release the queen's guard. Yes, my lord. Home for retire. Home for retire. Home for retire. The palace, my sweet, will be returned as quickly as taken. This is our last quarrel. <laughs> our last. Ready to board. Ready to board. Ready, Captain. The order is obeyed, my lord. Follow your men. Yes, my lord. Now, let us talk no more of this tonight. Let us forget this matter of thrones and kingdoms and be but you and me for a while. Yes, yes. Let us forget. If I clap my hands now, would my guard come or yours? Yours only. Shall I call them? No, no. I'll call them. Captain Armin. Captain Armin! Yes, Your Majesty. The palace has been returned. It is in our hands. Yes, Majesty. I have ruled England a long time, my Essex. And I have found that he who would rule must be quite friendless. Without mercy. Without love. Arrest, Lord Essex. Is this a jest? Arrest, Lord Essex. I never jest when I play for kingdoms, my lord. I trusted you. I trusted you and learned from you that no one can be trusted. Captain, take Lord Essex to the tower. Majesty, for two long weeks you've sat staring out that window, without eating, without sleeping. You must find occupation or you'll go mad. I think I am mad, my dear Penelope. Will he speak, think you? Will he send some word to me in this last hour? I fear he's proud as you, Majesty. But I gave him a ring. If ever he wanted forgiveness, he was to send the ring to me. This is the end of me, dear Penelope. I've been a long while learning, but I've learned it now. Life is bitter. Nobody dies happy, queen or no. Oh, I shall live on a horrible while. I shall walk and give orders, a horrible old hag giving orders. Could it be? He has spoken first. He has come. Open the door, Penelope, quick. It's but Lord Cecil, madam. Your Majesty, a citizen rabble has gathered to protest the execution of Essex. 
The captain begs permission to use your guard to disperse them. Alive still are you, Cecil. The snake in the grass endures. But the noble and valiant go down in their prime. Madam, the guard... Take my guard, take it. But before you leave, call Lord Essex for me from his cell. Madam... Lord Essex is prepared for execution. The priest has been sent Bring him here, I say. No more talk. Very well, Your Majesty. Penelope. My robe. The one with the gold embroidery, the blue one, it suits me well. Bring my amber bracelets and my brightest jewels, a silk scarf, too. It hides my throat. Dear... You are so young, and he's so young, and I am old. Do not be here when he comes. Do you mind? No, madam, but you... You're beautiful. Beautiful still. I was once, I was. You'd not believe it, not. Oh, yes, you're always beautiful. You've always been. It's true, the blue becomes you. Thank you, my dear. Go now. He'll come. Yes, Majesty. Enter. You sent for me. Or so they said. Yes. It would have been kinder to leave with, with my thoughts till the axe came down and ended them. You spoil me for death. Are you so set on dying? I can't say I care for it. This blood that beats in us has a way of wanting to keep right on. But if one is to die, it's well to go straight toward it. You must have known I never meant you to die. I am under sentence from your majesty's courts. I am found guilty of treason and on good evidence and cannot deny it. This treason, I believe, is punishable with death. Yes. And we've both let it go late, each waiting for the others. Why did you not send my ring? I had thought to wear it as far as my grave. I've waited night after night, thinking tonight the ring will come. But I could not have sent it. Why? I'd have kept my promise. I'd keep it now. If I offered you this yes, ring? Yes, even now. You would pardon me? Set me free? Seed back my estates to me, love me as before, give me my place in the states. All, all as it was. And what would happen to your throne? My throne? Nothing. Yes, for I take it from you. Again? You play that game again? I played for power and lost, but if I had another chance, I think I'd play and win. Why do you say that? I say it because it's true. I have loved you. I love you now, but I know myself. I have a weakness for being first wherever I am. I refuse to take pardon from you without warning you of this. And when you know it, pardon becomes impossible. You do this for me? Why, yes. But not altogether. Partly for England, too. I've lost conceit of myself a little. A life in prison's very quiet. It leads to thinking. You govern England better than I should. I'd lead her into wars, make a great name, and leave a legacy of debts and bloodshed after me. You will leave peace, 
happiness, something secure. A woman governs better than a man. Being a natural coward, a coward rules best. Still bitter. Perhaps a little. It's a bitter belief to swallow, but I believe it. You were right all the time. And now, if you will pardon me, I have an appointment nearby with a headsman. He comes sharp on the hour. Oh, no. Not yet. It cannot go this way. Ah, yes, but it has, and it will. There's no way out. Speak frankly. Could you forgive me and keep your throne? No. Are you ready to give up your crown to me? No, it's all I have. I am Elizabeth, daughter of a king, the Queen of England, and you are my subject. Who am I to stand here, paltering with a rebel noble? What does this mean, you standing here eye to eye with me, your liege? You pretender to a throne upon which you have no claim. You pretender to a heart. Who have been hollow and heartless and faithless to the end. There has been an empire between us. If even now you were not queen and I were not pretender, that God who searches heaven and earth and hell for two who are perfect lovers could end his search with you and me. Remember, I am to die, and so I can tell you truly, out of all the earth that I am to leave, there is nothing I am very loath to leave, save you. Yet, if I live, I'll be your death, and you'll be mine. Give me the ring. No. Give me the ring. I'd rather you killed me than I killed you. No, it's better for me as it is. That I should live and batten my fame and fortune on the woman I love. I've thought of it all. It's better to die young and unblemished than to live long and rule and rule not well. Is it not? Yes. Goodbye, then. Then I'm old. I'm old. I could have been young with you, but now I'm old. I know how it will be without you. The sun will be empty and circle round an empty earth. And I will be queen of emptiness and death. Why could you not have loved me enough to give me your love and let me keep as I was? I know not. I only know I could not. Theatre Guild production of Elizabeth the Queen, presented by U.S. Steel and starring Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan. 
And here again is Lawrence Langner to tell you about next week's Theatre Guild play to be presented by the United States Steel Corporation. Mr. Langner. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight you've just heard Lynn Fontan as Elizabeth and Alfred Lunt as the aristocratic Earl of Essex. Next Sunday evening, Mr. Lunt will appear on the same program in Ned McCobb's Daughter by Sidney Howard, playing the part of a swaggering, blustering, slick New Yorker with no respect for either the law or the English language. Shirley Booth will play his sister-in-law, Carrie Callahan. Carrie has the character of her New England ancestors. And when she comes in conflict with Babe, New Englander against New Yorker, there's plenty of comedy and drama. And if you listen in next Sunday evening, I'm sure you'll enjoy Shirley Booth as Carrie and Alfred Lunt as the engaging Babe Callahan, the party created in our original stage production of Ned Bacard's Daughter. United States Steel Corporation hopes that you'll be with us next week at the same time when Alfred Lund will return to star in Sidney Howard's famous play, Ned McCobb's Daughter, which features Shirley Booth and Anthony Ross. If you'd like program notes and cast list of tonight's Theater Guild on the air, prepared for each broadcast with information about the play and the players, simply address U.S. Steel Corporation, Radio Department, 71 Broadway, New York 6, New York. The staff for the Theater Guild on the air includes Homer Thicket Director, George Condolf Producer, and Armina Marshall, Executive Director of the Radio Department. Music for tonight's play was composed and conducted by Harold Levy, and the play adapted for radio by Stanley Young. Your announcer, Norman Brokenshire. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour, broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying, So long for a while.